I've never got involved with this, but I know around the 4th of July, Ballotin has a history of hiding some kind of medallions. And they'll hide them in the community, and the whole purpose is to get the community involved in thinking about whatever is coming up, whatever the special event is. And, you know, when I think about that medallion hunt and whatever the prize may be, it is really irrelevant, but a lot of times I don't even know there's a medallion hunt going on. And then there are other people who are just consumed by looking for this medallion. And then there's those that have been doing this year after year, and they know all the shortcuts. They know how to get there. And maybe they get there first. It doesn't matter. But somebody eventually finds it. And I I was thinking as I was looking and thinking about that medallion hunt and how some people don't even know it's taking place. Some people could care less that there's even a medallion out there. And some people search and search and search, but without the clues, they'd never find it. So even for those that find it, there, may, there is a map of some sort. But you really have to read through all of the clues and to understand it. And what I was thinking about is how it pertains, I think, to humanity in a way, how ever since the sin in the garden, much of humanity has been trying to find a way back to God. They may not even understand what it is they're looking for, but they're searching for something. And many, many are searching for God in their own way. And the reality is they, the searches oftentimes end in futility. Oftentimes they end up in a dark, lonely place of lostness. They're still lost. You know that there are thousands of religious and religious sects in the world today. Literally. I don't think anybody knows how many. I I read somebody who thought he was pretty well versed in this, and he said there's over 4,800 religions or religious sects that are in one way or another seeking God. And the interesting thing is about all these religions and religious sects, almost all of them have one thing in common, and that is that they are seeking a way that they can approach God way that they can gain God's attention or gain God's favor. Of all those religions and religious sects out there that are doing this, there's one outlier in the group. There's one that's not doing that, and it's Christianity. Christianity is actually just the opposite of that. Mankind isn't reaching out to earn God's approval or favor. God is reaching out to us. He's running after us. He is providing a way as he pursues us. A totally different concept, an opposite approach, if you would, to what most of the world is doing and most religions and religious sects are doing. And the problem with this Christianity concept for so many people is they reject that because it's simply too easy. Have you ever shared the simple gospel message with somebody? And when they get all, you get all through with it and you think you've done a really good job, they just look at you and go, no, that can't be it. There's got to be more to it than that. I've, I've gotten that response so many times. It's just too easy. Well, it is easy from our side to accept Christ and become a Christian because God did all the work through Christ from his side. But the world doesn't understand that. You know, the Bible is very clear that man is totally incapable of approaching God in his own strength. All these religions and religious sects that are out there, whether it's good deeds or works of some sort, 
Maybe it's sacrifices of some sort. Maybe it's self-denial. Whatever it is, whatever it is they're doing, whatever they think they're accomplishing, and somehow or other, hoping that they do the right thing or do enough that they garner God's attention that would ultimately lead to his receiving them, and we might use the word salvation. It's futile. The Bible's clear. There is no way mankind in their own strength can do this. Earning God's favor, it's impossible for us in our flesh. The good news is God has a plan. And he's had this plan for a long, long time. Matter of fact, the Word of God tells us he's had this plan before the the worlds were formed. Did you know that? He had this plan in mind before he created anything. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7. It says, The wisdom we speak of is the mystery of God. His plan that was previously hidden, even though he made it for our ultimate glory before the world began. But the rulers of this world have not understood it. If they had, they would have not crucified our glorious Lord. He's had this plan. And there was a time when it was a mystery. But it's no longer a mystery. It's been revealed to the world through Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. We have the Word of God. The plan is there. And He did all the work. We need to receive by faith. So this morning, I'm I'm starting the first of what I think is going to be a four-sermon series leading up to the resurrection. The title of the series itself is called Approaching the Resurrection. And we're going to be looking in the Gospel of John this morning. And I'm going to be talking primarily about John the Baptist. So I want to just get that out there. If I happen to just say John, don't get confused. I'm not usually talking about the disciple. I'm talking about John the Baptist. And in his role in revealing Jesus to us, his role in revealing Jesus to the world. The title of the message this morning is just that, Revealing the Messiah. Now, the Easter story, I think, is pretty familiar to most of us, right? Jesus comes in the form of a child, form of man, takes on flesh, lives a sinless life, walks the earth for somewhere around 30 years, about three years plus of ministry, and he goes willingly to the cross. He chooses to go to the cross. He chooses to die for our sins, take our sins upon him, pay the price, providing a way of forgiveness, providing a way of salvation, the Easter message. And when we look at this, the Bible is also clear that that's the only way in God's plan. You know, God, a lot of people reject the gospel because it sounds too easy, but probably even more people reject the gospel because of the exclusive aspect of it. What does the Word of God say? It tells us very clearly that Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one gets to the Father but through me. Boy, in our culture today, that's not a very popular concept. In our culture today, you know, we almost are getting to the point where they don't want any absolutes. But a lot of people certainly do not want this one. They would rather have what I call a roadmap theology. You know, it's interesting. If if all of us decided today, we you know, let's adjourn from here and after this, let's all just drive to St. Paul and let's all just meet on the Capitol steps. Every single one of us in here and many, many more could get in their vehicles and drive and we could all take a different route. We could all 
take different meandering ways to get there. Some of them would be more uh, problematic than others. Some of us would get there way before others. But we could all go, if we had that map, we could all go from here, point A, to point B in St. Paul, and we'd all get there. And that is the kind of theology that a lot of people want. There are many, many roads to God. There are many, many ways to God. And the reality is Jesus says, no, there's only one way, and it's through me, period. The world does not like that. We get accused of being narrow-minded, bigoted, intolerant, uncompromising. And in many ways we are because the Word of God is very clear that there is only one way. But people are searching. And if we want to hear the truth, and our call is to share the truth with them. There's other things that are repel people besides its exclusiveness, besides um, uh, the narrow way, the narrow gate. Some people, including religious I mean, even some denominations, sadly, are trying to get away from the cross and the blood because it's messy, because it's gruesome. They don't want to hear about the cross. They don't want to hear about the shedding of blood. They cringe at the thought. They don't even want to hear about this guy that we look to as the Savior of the world, Jesus, dying on a hill somewhere on a piece of wood with thieves on each side of him. All of these things make it difficult for much of the world to receive. We need to always remember for our Christians, the cross has always been the focus of our faith. If it weren't for the cross, our Christian religion wouldn't be different from all those other religions of the world. It's a picture of God reaching down to us instead of us trying to somehow reach up to him. The cross was his idea. It was his plan. He initiated it. Jesus understood this. Jesus understood what the mission was. He knew what he was called to do. He knew what he was sent to do. He knew, no matter how difficult, that that was his mission and he was going to carry it out. So the revealing of the Messiah. We're going to look at at the Gospel of John, chapter 1, if you're going to follow in in your Bibles or on your phones, or wherever you have your Bibles these days. John chapter 1, verse 14 first, and then we'll get to what I really want to share from. This is where the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The plan of God came forth. John the Baptist is a very interesting character in the Scriptures. He actually was a relative of Jesus, right? His parents were Zechariah and Elizabeth. Remember the story when Mary got pregnant and she went to a relative? We don't know exactly. The Bible doesn't tell us what their relationship was, but we know they were relatives. And Elizabeth was pregnant with who turns out to be John the Baptist. So John the Baptist has a mission. He has a calling from God. But John didn't know who the Messiah was. I've been trying to imagine in my mind, as I've been looking at this message, what it must have been like. Did he know, had he ever met Jesus, his relative? 
had they got together at a family reunion somewhere? How shocked would he have been when all of a sudden he discovers who the Messiah is supposed to be? Because initially all he knows is what he is called to do. He is called to proclaim that the Messiah is coming. And he is called to prepare the way for the Messiah's arrival. He is called to preach a message of repentance. But he didn't know who the Messiah was going to be. John the Baptist became popular. Go ahead and put that picture up of, that I have of John the Baptist. I have no idea if you really look quite like that. But we do know from Scripture in the Gospel of Luke, it says, you know, he's wearing camel hair for clothing. He's got a leather belt. We know that his diet consisted of at least honey and locusts. And we knew he was preaching in the wilderness, not in a synagogue, as the teachers, the scribes would have been doing of the day. This guy would not have been an acceptable source of information in religious circles. It just wouldn't have happened. And yet somehow or other, because of his message, because of his anointing, whatever we want to call it, he was evidently pretty good at delivering his message, and crowds begin to come. And we see in the Gospel of Luke, in Luke, that it says even soldiers were coming. It says religious leaders were even coming. It says tax collectors were even coming. And he was becoming a little bit more popular on the speaking circuit. And he didn't look anything like what the religious rulers of the day would have wanted, drawing crowds of people, and certainly not speaking religious things. He just didn't fit the mold. And the next slide, not that this is necessarily what the religious rulers looked exactly like. A lot of times they wore costumes way more elaborate than those. But you can imagine, here's this guy, John the Baptist, out in the wilderness looking like he looks, preaching a message of repentance, and then we're going to see baptizing people. Now, we might miss the significance of that in the minds of the Jewish people and the Jewish rulers. Jewish people were Jews by birth. They were circumcised according to the law. They were dedicated according to the law. But they weren't baptized. So what in the world were all these Jewish people doing going out in the wilderness and getting baptized by a guy that looks like something like that? Who does he think he is? By what authority? Now, if you were not a Jew and you wanted to become a Jew, there was a system you had to go through. You had to be baptized in that process. But if you were a Jew, this whole baptism thing just was foreign. So you can imagine the religious leaders, when they're hearing about this guy and hearing what he's doing, would have some questions and quite probably some concerns. So they sent some people out to him to find out who in the world he is, sort of who in the world does he think he is doing these things. By what authority are you doing any of this stuff? You're not one of us. You're not one of the religious establishment. What school did you go to? Who's rabbi? Who's your rabbi? Who, did you, who taught you? All of these things. But people are responding to his message. So we're going to read first, in, starting in verse 19 of John chapter 1. Now this was John's testimony. When the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was, He didn't fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. 
I am not the Messiah. They asked him then, who are you? Are you Elijah? I am not. Are you the prophet? No. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer that we can take back to them that sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? You can almost sense and feel the irritation. And you can also get a sense of who the religious leaders were probably discussing who he might be. These people were sent, and they were sent, and they had these questions. Are you the Messiah? You know, there had been a number of people in Jewish history up to this point who had claimed to be the Messiah. So they're probably thinking, is this another one of those nutcases? Coming, trying to get a group of followers and stir up trouble and become rabble-rousers and ruin this perfect gig we got going between us and the Romans. Are you the Messiah? Nope, I'm not him. Are you Elijah? You may remember... He didn't die. He was taken up into heaven in a fiery chariot. And they believed he was coming back. Are you him? Nope, I'm not him. Are you the prophet? Well, we really don't know for sure who they were thinking the prophet was. Obviously, there was a prophet that they were thinking would come back. In Deuteronomy, one of the things we just glossed over when we were going through Deuteronomy, Moses, when he was speaking to the people, said, there is going to be a prophet like Moses. When he comes, listen to him. But we're not sure if that's who it is. But whoever it was, they had an idea. Are you him? Nope, I'm not him. Then who in the world are you? A lot of it's kind of reasonable to ask things like that in this scenario. Who who in the world are you? And then we're going to see in the next section of Scripture, they say, who gives you the authority to do this? Who gives you this authority? In my mind, once again, Sort of reasonable questions if I'm coming from the religious leader's mindset. We don't know this guy. And he's doing things that he probably shouldn't be doing. What makes him think he can do this? So we find, starting in verse 23, John the Baptist replies to them. And he says, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord or prepare the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said, now they had been sent from the Pharisees. Then they asked him, why are you baptizing? Now we get to that thorny issue. What do you think you're doing? If you're neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet. And John answered and said, I baptize with water, but among you stands one You do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things take place in Bethany across the Jordan River where John was baptizing. So John answers their question, right? But it's kind of a cryptic answer. He sort of answers it without answering it by using Scripture. And he chose the prophet Isaiah. And religious leaders would have understood what he was saying, at least in part. And it would probably have troubled them that he was saying these words. I'm the one, I'm the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, prepare the way for the Messiah. Whoever this guy is, he's saying the Messiah is coming. He's preparing the way for him. 
When we look at that answer today, I think most of us could say, yeah, that's pretty clear. We look back through the Scriptures. We look back through the cross. We understand he was preparing the way for Jesus. But at this particular time, John the Baptist knew what he was supposed to proclaim, but he didn't know who he was proclaiming this about. And he says, there's one greater coming. Isn't it interesting to you, maybe it's just me, the way I think, but if I'm being sent out there and I'm asking these questions and you're not the Messiah, you're not Elijah, you're not the prophet, you're doing these things that you shouldn't be doing, who in the world are you? You quote some old prophet Isaiah to us and you tell us that you're preparing the way. Why wouldn't you ask the next obvious question? Who? Right? Who are you preparing the way for? You're preparing the way for somebody. Who is the somebody? But they don't even ask that. It's almost as if they really didn't want to know. They didn't want to have to go back to the Pharisees. This was a good enough answer. What I see here is John the Baptist is very clear about his mission and his message. We see in, the, in Luke that he says God spoke to him. God gave him the message. God told him to go, give the message, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. He's going to prepare the way. He knew his mission. He knew what he was supposed to do. He just didn't know who he was doing it for. He knew he was being called to be a witness. You know, there is a similarity there, I think, that we don't have to reach too far for for us. The only thing is we do know who we're supposed to be witnesses of. Every single one of us that know Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior have a similar mission in, in at least this sense to John the Baptist. We are to go and declare the word of the Lord. We are called to go and share the good news, share that there is a Messiah and he already has come. Share the good news that who he is, what he's done, what it's done in our lives. We have more information than John the Baptist had, but we are called in a likewise way to go and do this. Be bold. We don't have to dress up like John the Baptist. We don't have to be weird or anything like that, but we need to be bold. We need to have love and demonstrate that we care about people that are going to hell that don't know the truth about Jesus Christ, don't know that there is a way to be, have our sins forgiven, don't know that there is a way to have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. We are called to do those things, and we are called to be that voice. It's almost as if he's saying, what's your calling, John? I'm nothing but a mouthpiece. That's all I am. I'm just a mouthpiece. Not very fancy. I don't have any fancy titles. Just a mouthpiece. We don't need any fancy titles. We don't have to look a certain way. We just need to be that mouthpiece. Go out and share the good news of Jesus Christ. The message or the revealing of John the Baptist. Then we see the revealing of Jesus himself through, again, John the Baptist. Now, when the Gospel of John, when you're reading these words written by John the disciple, he is kind of giving an overview. He's kind of telling the story of the things that took place. He's not too concerned with the details and some of the chronology of it. You can get that from the other uh, Gospels, in particular Luke. But he's, he's going on now. He's identified his mission. 
He's revealed what he is supposed to do. And he was quick to reveal that I'm not him. But then he is also quick to reveal who it is when he sees it. And it's revealed through Jesus himself. In verse 29, it says this. The next day he, John, saw Jesus coming toward him. And he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The who is answered. Who takes away the sin of the world. His mission. This is he of whom I'm said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. John reveals, and if you remember the setting, he's sitting with some of his disciples, some of his followers, and Jesus has come and walking, and he says, there, there he is. Behold the Lamb of God. He's the one that I was to be the mouthpiece for. He's the one that's going to forgive sins. He is the Lamb of God. He is the Son of God, and he is arriving. And, of course, this information wouldn't take long to get to the religious leaders. And they weren't very happy when they hear this information. Once again, for us, just to encourage us and remind us, we have this similar purpose. We have such an advantage when it comes to sharing the gospel than somebody like John the Baptist. Actually, than even the disciples themselves who walked with him. We know more. We have more truth. We know more. We have way more details. We have the Word of God. And certainly, we have the Holy Spirit that John the Baptist would not necessarily have had living in him. So we have this obligation. He's come. We didn't know him. Now we do. And because we know him, this is what's been done in my life. I hope most of you um, have been watching The Chosen. How many of you have watched The Chosen? Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. Look it up. Go on YouTube. The Chosen is phenomenal. They did an eight, uh, eight, a series of eight movies, videos, a year ago, and they released it free to the world on Easter week. It's free to the world, again, coming in Easter week, the first season. And season two is starting, and the first one will be released on Easter Sunday. I don't do promos for many things. You know that. This is awesome. It's awesome. It brings the Scriptures alive in a way that you've never probably seen before. And there was a line in there spoken by Mary The demon possessed Mary. And it's after she's been delivered. Before, and I'm I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember exactly. I was this, but now I'm this because I met him. Boy, all of us have a testimony to share. All of us were something, and now we're something else. Whatever we were, we are now new creatures in Christ. Why? Because we met him. This is what John the Baptist is as an example for us, imploring us, go and share this message. We didn't know him, now we do. 
We were this. Now we're this. And you can have everything that I have because he loves you as much as he loves me. Reaching out to him, to the established in him, the privilege to know him. So we have the witness of John. We have the witness of Jesus himself. And now we have a third witness, the Holy Spirit. Going on in verse 32 of John chapter 1, it says this. As John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water had said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. John the Baptist had made clear, I I know my message, I know my mission, but I don't know who he is. But the Holy Spirit, God told me when the Holy Spirit comes and settles on the one, that's him. That's the Son of God. And most of us probably know the story. When he goes into the water, Jesus goes into the water to be baptized by John. John says, oh, no, I, I, I should be baptized by you. And Jesus says, no. Basically, that righteousness or that the Scriptures may be fulfilled, you need to baptize me. And when he baptized him, two things happened. One, the Holy Spirit came as a dove and settled on him and remained. And then we don't hear it here, but you'll read it in Luke. Then we also heard the voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. God revealed to John the Baptist who Jesus was as the Messiah. Basically telling him, Given the message, the mission, and now you know the who. Share the good news. Of course, he did. And if we know the story, he ended up losing his head, being beheaded, because he continued to stand for truth. Don't let that stop us. Okay? Don't let that stop us. We need to be willing to share the truth, go into the world, share all these things. Jesus declared the mission himself in a very, very familiar scripture of John 3.16, for God so loved the world. What? That he gave his only son to die that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's our message. That's our message. As Brian exhorted even this morning during our time of worship, it doesn't matter what we've done in our past. It doesn't matter. You don't have to measure up to anything else or anybody else. There's nothing you can do that was so evil and so dark that Jesus didn't take care of it at the cross. There may be some of us here sitting here that we know stuff about Jesus, but we've never truly made that personal commitment to Christ, personally acknowledged, you know what, I am a sinner and I need a Savior. As soon as we start thinking that way, the enemy comes with those thoughts and lies to try to deceive us that somehow or other, no, 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 maybe everybody else, but not you. You are too evil. What you did. Remember when? Boy, that remember when line, that should be like a red flag. Get behind these Satan. You know, it's not true. And it's because of the mission of Jesus that we'll be looking at in the next couple of weeks of going to the cross. God's plan that no matter what it was that you or I have done, once we accept Jesus Christ, 
because of the cross, our sins are forgiven. It's because of the cross and what the cross accomplished that we are free. It's because of the cross that we can know and experience Jesus personally and have a relationship with him. Because of the cross that we can be totally reconciled and redeemed by God. It's because of the cross that God can declare that you and I are holy and righteous in his sight. Pretty amazing stuff. Almost too amazing to believe. And so certainly the devil does not want you to believe any of it. You know, if you're watching online and you've never accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, it's not a complicated process. We need to confess that we are sinners. That's all there is to it. We are sinners, and we need a Savior. There is nothing we could do on our own to receive salvation, that we could be reconciled to God. But God had a plan from before the world was even formed. And he sent Jesus to die on a cross for our sins. In other words, he took all of our sins, past, present, and future. Wow, amazing. He took all of that sin and all of the penalty for that sin. The Bible's clear. What was the penalty for sin? The wages of sin is death. He died in our place. He paid a price we could never pay. If you're listening online or if you're here and you've never acknowledged that you're a sinner and need a Savior and recognize that Jesus is that Savior, that's what you need to do. And our only part in this process of salvation is simply receiving the gift. Receiving the gift. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I do pray First, a prayer of thanksgiving that you extended your grace to me and to all here that do know you as our Lord and Savior, that you extended the grace for us to receive the gift of salvation, that we could be redeemed, that we could be reconciled to a relationship with you, that our sins could be forgiven, any sin, every sin, forgiven because of the blood of Jesus. I pray, Lord, that Others who may not have really grabbed a hold of the reality of the price that needed to be paid for our sin. Grabbed a hold of the reality that Jesus died and paid that price. I pray this morning, Holy Spirit, that you would reveal these truths to their hearts, to their minds. That today would be the day they receive the forgiveness of sin certain promise of eternal life with God the Father. That no lies of the enemy would be able to prevent that. Even as you freely give and reach out, give us the grace to freely receive. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're able, let's stand together and close our service with this worship song.